0: Well, good morning again. It's great to uh, have a chance and opportunity to wrap up uh, this series um, about the mission and vision of Whiting Christian Church. And we began this back on April 12th. Um, And it's not a casting of any new vision, this is a, a reminder of who we are, what we stand for, what we aspire to do all together. And I think it's always important every year for any organization to revisit their mission because very quickly we sort of lose track or we forget. And so we need to be constantly reminded in all different kinds of ways of the why, why we exist, why the church is called to be the church. And in particular, why Whiting Church is called to be what Whiting Church is is called to be and so several years ago uh, members of this church cast a vision that simply says we want to grow people in their faith in Christ and we want to do it in three ways we want to do it through inviting we want to do it through serving and we want to do it through sharing and so two weeks ago we took a look at what that meant to invite and what that looked like and last week we really got into what it means to share the gospel. What it means to share the gospel through our words and our actions to a world that desperately needs the love of Jesus. The salvation that Jesus offers through his death and resurrection. And today, we're going to wrap up that series by talking about serving. And in particular, serving together. Now, if you weren't here last week, don't feel like you're put on the spot because we did have an assignment. Actually, we had a kind of a two-part assignment. The first assignment was to recite two verses each day, preferably morning and evening. Those two verses were Galatians 5:22 and Philippians 4:8. And I want to begin with those because that's what gave the context and the framework for why we share our faith. We talked about serving, um, or excuse me, sharing our faith out of both obedience and out of gratitude. We're called to do so. Jesus gives that calling to every follower. You are to go forth And proclaim the good news, baptizing all nations, all people in my name. We do that out of obedience, but we also share out of gratitude because it is Christ's sacrifice for us that gives us the promise of eternal life, something that none of us can earn on our own. And so it's out of that gratitude for his price, the price that he paid on the cross, that we are compelled and obligated to share his good news with all of those around us. And so if we can take a look at Galatians 5.22 again, this is quite literally a spiritual spiritual uh, command here. Paul is writing to the church of Galatia, and he reminds them that the fruits of the Spirit are love, and joy, and peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness gentleness and self-control now if you went through the practice this past week of saying that verse every single day did it make a difference did it help sort of center your thoughts did anyone ever struggle with any of those (laughs) doing those every single day yeah sometimes it's hard it's hard to have self-control it's hard to be gentle it's hard to sometimes practice kindness and goodness but I believe that little by little, as we continue to imprint and impress those words inside our soul, it becomes more and more a part of who we are. And this is very critical to understand, and we go back to what I think is one of the most foundational verses of the New Testament Church. It's Acts 2:38. It's when Peter is preaching the resurrected Christ, and the gathering that's around him realizes that they all played a part in Jesus having to die. and they said, "What do we do now? We're lost." And you remember the words that Peter said. He says you are to repent and be baptized for the remission of your sins and you will be given what? The gift of the Holy Spirit. And that's what Paul is referring to when he talks about the fruits of that spirit. So that's a very spiritual consequence that we have when we are walking closely in our faith through prayer and scripture and in community We have the greater capacity to show and to reflect those fruits of the Spirit. I think that's so important to remember. The second verse that I asked you to look at is in Philippians 4.8. And this is what Paul says as he was writing from prison. He says to the church in Philippi, Philippi, he says, Whatever is noble and true, whatever is pure and right and lovely, whatever is admirable, anything that is excellent or praiseworthy he says spend your time thinking those things spend your time in those conversations spend your time in those communications so another follow-up question how many of you spent more time thinking of lovely and praiseworthy things this week I know it's easier to do when the sun's out and it's spring and everything's growing around us but it's a spiritual practice to focus our minds, to focus our hearts, to focus our thoughts the way that Jesus directs us to. Because I think at the core of these two verses are how we are called to live our lives toward what Jesus calls each and every follower to do every single day. And that is to love the Lord, our God, with all of our hearts, with all of our souls, and with all of our minds, and to love our neighbors as ourselves. Those two verses... Help us capture exactly what that looks like. And those are those two key verses, I think, that needs to be at the center of everything we say, of everything we think, of everything we do. They direct us in such a powerful way. You see, these words became the foundation for what his church, Christ's church, should stand for. They're the words for what the church is called to do, to love God and to equip people to love people. So some time ago, this mission and this vision was cast. And it's what this series has been designed to reflect upon and to review together that Whiting Christian Church has made the proclamation that this body of believers will work hard, will work humbly, will work with the use of the Holy Spirit to grow people's relationship with Jesus Christ. And we're going to do it by three ways. We're going to do it through inviting and we talked about this last week and Mike shared it two weeks before what we know is that the vast majority of people once they become adults if they don't know Christ by the time they are adults the best chance they're gonna have to get to know Christ is if somebody invites them to church there's a calling to invite there's a calling to reach out to someone who doesn't know Christ who isn't going to church and say hey would you come with me this Sunday so there's the invitation Then there's the sharing of our faith. We talked about this last week. And we share our faith by words and actions. And that begins by us building quality relationships with people. And we build those relationships in two ways. We build them with each other, and we build them with our neighbors. We build them with people who aren't part of our church. We build them with people who need to know Jesus So we're building and equipping ourselves in our relationships so that we can better be equipped to build the relationships with those who need to know Christ. Sharing relationships means that we share life. We share meals. We share our stories. We share time together. And we have to work to have healthy relationships within our families and within our friendships because for us to be healthy witnesses for Christ, we need to have healthy relationships. It's just that simple. And so the first litmus test that I would give all of us is to ask this question. Do the relationships I have within my family and among the people that I'm around the most, both at work and in my friendships, do I spend the most of my time with them reflecting the qualities of Galatians 5.22? Do those relationships reflect love and peace and kindness and goodness and faithfulness, self-control? Do those relationships that I have every day reflect the fruits of the Spirit? Because I want to go back one more verse, or two actually, in that very same book of Galatians. If you you were to go back to verse 19, it's not on the screen. But Paul, very intentionally, I think, draws a comparison between the fruits of the Spirit and what we produce as fruits of the flesh. If you have your Bibles and want to look at Galatians 5.19, I want to share this with you. These are verses that you're all familiar with. But in the light of what we've just shared and what we've been discussing, I wonder if this will cast a little different light on things now. Paul says that in contrast to the fruits of the Spirit are these fruits of the flesh. He says sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, And envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like, he says, I warn you as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. So, what he does is he draws a contrast between the fruits of the flesh, what we may be prone to be thinking and doing separate from God, versus the fruits of the Spirit that's indwelled upon us when we accept Christ. And I think each one of us can think of a life that sort of goes back and forth between the fruits of the flesh and the fruits of the Spirit. Now, we can all be very selective with these, can't we? I know I can. I can look at this list and I can say, well, I'm a dedicated husband, so sexual immor- immorality, check. I got that one. I don't debauch, I don't think. I better look up what that word means, but I'm not a debaucher, so that's an easy one to check off. I don't practice witchcraft, so I can check that one off. But he goes a little deeper than that. How are you doing with your jealousy, Jeff? How are you doing with your envy? Do you look at anyone around you and see something they have and wish that you had it? Jeff, how are you doing with your anger? You Ever see any fits of rage? Jeff, do you ever speak in any ways that could be factious? Could end up hurting someone? Think about that. You know, a very well-known football coach at a well-known university that will remain nameless got himself in trouble a couple of times because he was saying things away from the public eye that he thought was, pu- that was private, but thanks to cell phones and social media, it became very public. And it turned out to be a very embarrassing situation for him. Nebraska. But anyway, <laughs> lesson learned here is this. I want you to think about this. I want you to think back to the last week that you just lived, okay? I put myself to the same test. Think of every conversation you had. Think of every encounter you had with every single person and pretend as if every single thing that you said in this last week was being taped. Is there anything that you said in this past week or said about anyone that you would be embarrassed if that were to wind up for the whole world to hear? That's a very high bar, and I simply bring it up for this reason. There is not one of us who can say that we live a perfect life. There's not one of us that can say that we absolutely follow this to a T. And so I want to be very clear to preface something here before I get into serving. It is only through the saving grace of Jesus that we inherit the kingdom of God. The only way that we inherit heaven someday. And I could go through that checklist and I could say, I never, I never, I never, I never, I never. But it's not going to make a world of difference if I don't know Jesus. And at the same time, because I know Jesus, when I trip up in any of these areas, I am not beyond his forgiveness. And that's a pretty good place to be because I'm a sinner just like you. That's the gospel message that we keep preaching over and over again. Jesus was very clear about this. But here's what I think Paul's doing in this letter to the Galatians. He is giving them a high bar. Because he's simply asking them, I believe, that how can we truly reach our potential as Christ followers? And specifically, how can we honor God as a body of believers, as his church, when we allow division to drive us apart? When we allow the fruits of our flesh to supersede any fruits of the Spirit? So now, it's not just about my personal relationship with Jesus, but in terms of us as a body, as a church, now it becomes more about us as a body, and our obedience to God and his calling for us as a body reaching the world outside of these walls. That's why there's implications here to the importance of being a church that is founded upon the fruits of the Spirit. I wonder if if every church in this country were to begin every conversation, every meeting, every thing that they do with a simple prayer of Galatians 5.22, I wonder what that would look like. Because we are humans and we make mistakes and we have to remind ourselves daily to surrender ourselves to Christ. And the fruits of the Spirit continue to grow the more we surrender and the less with what we do. A church that wants to reach unhealthy people who, needs, who need Christ must be healthy itself. That's our goal. That should be the goal of every single church. Every cell in that body needs to be healthy And so equipping and growing people in that way is a key part of what the church does. When a body is strong, it produces and practices great fruits of the Spirit. And it deeply reflects the fruits of the Spirit. And it's through those fruits that that church becomes the glowing light, the light of the world that Jesus describes, that he planted with his resurrection. We become that light. And I'm here to tell you, for people who are living in darkness there is something so appealing about a light. It pulls people, they gravitate to it because no one instinctively likes to live in darkness. But I think a lot of people don't know any different and they need to see that light in us to begin to see that difference. The local church is the hope for the world because we share the one hope for this world and that is Jesus Christ crucified and raised from the dead raised from the dead for each one of us and so that's why we share our faith and that's why we invite people to be part of that community it's because of what jesus did for each of us and so we do this out of obedience because jesus commands us to do it but we also do it out of gratitude because honestly i can't believe where i would be without the love of jesus christ And if he loves me that much, then I can only imagine that he loves every single other person that much, and he wants to bring them home, and he uses us to help do that. So that brings me to the last, the third leg of sort of this three-pronged mission statement. We've talked about invitation, we've talked about sharing, and now I want to talk about serving. And I want to go to the book of Isaiah, chapter 58, if you'll turn there with me. As I was doing some research on this a couple of weeks ago, I heard a very well-known pastor say that to his knowledge, this chapter in Isaiah was the longest list of promises that God offers his people known in the Bible. Well, that should perk your ears up. The longest list of promises, God saying, if you do this, I promise you that. And we're going to read this here in a second, at least a portion of it together But before we do that, I just want to give you just a little bit of background on Isaiah to help put this into context. He's a prophet, okay? And prophets in that day were instituted during the days of Solomon. Excuse me, the days of Samuel, these these last judges. And their role, these prophets' roles, were to confront people, especially their leaders, with God's commands, And if you're getting off track of of those, the the prophets were there to tell you you're getting off track. Now, think about that for a job description. Basically, your job every day is to see people living in sin and then directly confront them with it. Sound like fun? (laughs) But that's the calling of these prophets. And so they are going to speak truth to people. They are messengers of God, and Isaiah is probably the most well-known. And if you recall from our Christmas study, he's also the prophet who foretells the coming of the future Savior of Jesus Christ. And so we're going to look at what he has to say about serving others. And we're going to see how that parallels the teachings of Jesus, the very Savior that he prophesied. We're going to take a look at them side by side. And it's pretty stunning when you see how they read next to each other. And my goal is, in 10 minutes, for us to leave here with a strong conviction to be very clear about what God is calling us to do with our lives in terms of service to others. So one note about the culture that he's speaking to at this time. It was very common in people of this day to fast. Anyone ever fasted before? I made it till noon and I went to Chick-fil-A. That's about how much I fast. But a true fast is designed for you to give up food for X amount of days to bring you spiritually closer to God now in principle that's a wonderful practice but what's happening in Isaiah's time is that many people are beginning to use this as a form of manipulation of God or a form of sort of self congratulation so for example if you were to be fasting let's say for two weeks pretty soon you're walking around and you're weak and your clothes are getting tattered and you haven't shaved well you haven't shaved sorry it's something else I didn't do today But all of a sudden, you're drawing all this attention to your suffering. And so people would ask you, what are you doing? And you would say, oh, I'm fasting for for God. And you would be all of a sudden turning the attention to yourself. You see how people manipulate that. All of a sudden, it becomes less about my practice of faith and more about myself. And listen to what Isaiah says in 58.3. He says this, Why have we fasted, they say, and have you not seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves, and have you not noticed? Yet on the day of your fasting, just as a note, he's about to call out their hypocrisy here. Your fasting, he says, you do as you please, and yet you exploit your workers. Your fasting ends in quarreling and strife, and in striking each other with wicked fists. You cannot fast as you do today, and expect your voice to be heard on high. Is this the kind of fast I have chosen? Only a day for people to humble themselves? Is it only for bowing one's head like a reed and for lying in sackcloth and ashes? Is that what you call a fast? A day acceptable to the Lord? Here's what he's doing. He's calling them out. He says, you're walking around acting like you're going through this fast, like you're this holy person, and yet the minute you stop fasting, you're going to go right back to the sin that you're doing. And he says, God sees right through it. He sees right through it. And here's where I want to get into the promises. I want you to take a look at 58, 7 through 11 now. Isaiah goes on to say this. Is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen to loose the chains of injustice, to untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free, and to break every yoke? Circle verbs here as I go. Is it not to, highlighted word, share your food with the hungry? Is it not to, highlight word, provide the poor wanderer with shelter when you see the naked to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood. Then your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord will be your guard. Listen to these promises. The light will break forth. Your healing will appear. Your righteousness goes before you. And then he says this. Then you will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help and he will say, Here am I. If you do away with the yoke of oppression, with the pointing finger and malicious talk, and if you spend yourselves on behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, listen to this promise, then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like noonday. He's saying simply this, the Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs on a sun-scorched land. He will strengthen your frame, and you will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. Isaiah is simply saying this, you want the favor and blessing of God? Then care about those around you. Sacrifice for those who have less. Have a heart that's willing to give before receiving. Now that seems like a pretty easy thing to follow, doesn't it? These are promises that are laid out from God through Isaiah, his prophet. And now I want to show you a parallel. I want you to turn to Matthew 6. And I want to show you the first four verses. Because this is the very Savior that Isaiah prophesied hundreds of years earlier. And now Jesus comes on the scene. And he's teaching, and he's teaching to a similar group of people who don't seem to quite get it. And listen to what Jesus says. He calls them point blank. He says this, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. Kind of like the fasters, right? Don't do that. He says, if you do, then you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, Do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites in the synagogues or out on the streets do to be honored by others. He says, Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. You see the parallels? Humbly, quietly, obediently, love and give. And here's the reward for doing so. We are called, if you want to have your notes filled out for today, we are called to serve out of obedience, and we are called to serve out of responsibility. I love the fact that Mr. Snyder chose, Mr. Snyder, I'm in school mode, sorry, Steve read today. Steve read from that powerful chapter in Romans. Romans. The idea that we have this responsibility that we are called to give because of what Jesus gave for us. So we are called to serve out of obedience and we have a responsibility to do so. We also learn in Isaiah and in Matthew that when we serve, we are promised God's provision when we serve others. That's the whole point of tithing. It's the idea that I have enough faith and trust that God will provide for me because he provides everything else that I have that I will give 10% of what I've been blessed with to further his kingdom. We can use that tithing principle with our time, our treasure, our opportunities, but it's the idea that my God is always going to get my first fruits. That's how it works. And God promises that if we obey that, if we humbly follow, if we humbly serve and give... He's going to provide the provision that we need. And finally, Jesus directs us to serve quietly and without fanfare. Now that's not to say that we can't do things corporately and celebrate when we're helping. We can't organize ways to help people around us. But we're not doing it for ourselves and we're not doing it for our glory. We're doing it because Christ commands us to. And we do so with humility and the more we make a deal about it the less humble we become and so that's the bar that is set I want to share another verse and then I want to wrap this up in Matthew 25 44 see if this sounds anything like what you just heard in Isaiah the prophet who prophesied Jesus if you look at verse 44 Jesus says this actually let's go back to 41 he's talking about a king and the entry to heaven And Jesus says, For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. And they will also answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry, or thirsty, or a stranger, or needing clothes? And he says, Truly I will tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you do not do it for me. And then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteousness to eternal life. Those sounds like those sound like pretty serious commands, don't they? When we give our lives to Jesus Christ, when we are overcome with the fruits of the spirit, when they become the guiding thoughts and actions of our lives, we are compelled to invite, to share and to serve. Now last week I also asked those who were here to simply start making a list of your time, your treasures, your talents, your opportunities. Because the whole guiding principle of this is to see how corporately the church can move forward, but just as importantly, how the individuals within this body can take that calling on. That's part of what the church does. It equips people to serve and to share and to invite. I want to talk about three quick ways that this can look. The first one is extremely locally, and that's right here within this church. There are plenty of opportunities in all different ways for people to get involved, whether it's in children's ministry, youth ministry, greeting people at the door, heartbreaks that you've had that maybe start a ministry of some kind to help somebody else. There are ways within this church that more and more people can get and stay involved. And part of the work of the church is to make sure that we are creating a a, a garden for those opportunities to flourish. The second is in the community at large. I want to share a quick story with you that just happened this week in relation to what's going on in Baltimore. Uh, Chad Shook, a very good friend of mine, our elementary principal uh, up at LB, through a professional network, he became very good friends with an elementary principal in Baltimore by the name of Reggie. And he called Reggie this week when you see that the streets of Baltimore are literally on fire, worried about his friend. And he was telling me this just on Thursday. And Reggie said, you know, my biggest fear isn't necessarily safety, Um, We're going to be without school for three or four days probably until this all settles down. He goes, my biggest concern is this. 100% of the students that we serve in my elementary school, so that's close to 700 kids, 100% of them are living below the poverty line. And he says, I am quite certain that if we don't have school, at least half of those kids aren't going to have breakfast, lunch, or dinner today because they have no food in their homes. And so we're figuring out how to mobilize trucks of food and water that we can get to those kids. Now I can tell you this, just in Monona County alone, there are kids who are facing that same kind of reality. And there are boots on the ground right now, people who very quietly and humbly are doing this work, but they're providing food for kids who, I'm telling you what, I see them on Fridays, they are excited and rushing to get that sack, to get in their backpacks. We constantly need help just to serve the needs of the communities that surround us. There's an immediate community need just by meeting the food needs of the kids that are growing up right in our neighborhoods. We need to be aware of that. We need to be conscious of that. There are a lot of other ways that we can serve the local neighborhoods, not just with financial means, but in terms of just the breakdowns of families the pain that people are living through? Do we even know some of the stories because we don't know our own neighbors? We're called to start looking more deeply at the lives of those people who we interact with every single day. So as I send you forth this week, you think about your workplaces, you think about your neighborhoods, you think about your communities. How well do you know some of the very stories of the people who might be working right next door to you? And can you take one step toward them just to simply ask how they're doing? Because I'm telling you, that's when the opportunities to share faith begin. But they have to begin by developing relationships. Finally, and this is the last thing, we got to think of this in terms of globally as well. The statistics are very clear. We have close to 7 billion people who live in this world. And right now, 2.5 billion people in this world do not know where their next glass of water is coming from. I'm not even talking about food. I'm talking about where they're going to get a clean glass of water. Being aware of the needs of the world around us is so critically important. And sometimes I sit and think, you know, maybe instead of the trip to Wrigley Field or the family trip to the Twin Cities, nothing, not, there's anything wrong with taking trips, but maybe there's a day where I need to take my kids and see Haiti. Maybe there's a day where I need to take them and see Kenya or some of the most impoverished places on this, just where Mike went recently to Nepal. Because I'm told that once you see extreme poverty, not the working class poverty, that's still a problem. But when you see extreme poverty, it changes your life forever. It literally begins to break your heart for the very things that break God's heart. And it compels us to move. So we think about things in terms of our local church, our local community, and then from a global perspective. Where is God calling us to serve and to share? And I simply want to leave you with this challenge this morning. With those three steps in mind, who, who can I invite to a service here next week? Who can I invite? What and how can I share in terms of my faith? What can I do there? And finally, God, where are you calling us to serve? Every single person has those three capabilities. Our encouragement through this whole series is to give you that encouragement, that challenge, and that hope that you can be An agent for God many of you are continuing to work and grow we want everybody involved we want everybody serving and we want to take what we study and worship in these walls and we want to take it out to that world that's what we're called to do you know as I I think about the last two years um, spending a lot of Sundays in this pulpit it's given me a chance to do a lot of reflecting and I want to just share with you one last thought before Josh comes up, and we're going to have a video to kind of close the morning. But i just really come to understand a couple things about church. I think these are scriptural things, although I will preface by saying this is sort of tainted with Jeff's opinion as well. I'll just preface that. But first and foremost, the church, God's house, this body, we are a house of worship and prayer first and foremost. That's why the church as a body exists. We exist to worship God. We exist to be a place of prayer. There's going to be a prayer event Tuesday at 7 o'clock. First Tuesday in prayer. We exist as a house of worship and prayer. That's why Jesus was so angry when he overturned the money changers because they were corrupting the very reason why that temple was there. This place is a temple for worship and prayer. And so when we think about our time on a Sabbath Sunday, what church is is an opportunity to come and we lay down our burdens, each one of us, from the week before and we leave here with a little bit more blessing but we have to be intentional about setting that specific Sabbath time apart and as Steve mentioned it's a time for communion it's a time for worship it's a time for study it's a time for prayer it's a time to give God back to him the worship that he deserves now outside of Sundays the church is called to meet needs so that's the sharing piece we want to invite everybody in for that Sunday experience but then when we leave these walls, we are going out equipped to share God's love for him and for our neighbors. And finally, we are equipping people to serve. And we can do this through lay leadership. We can do this through uh, the, the, the church leadership. We can do this in a number of ways. But at the end of the day, we are continuing, continually thinking of how to equip people to serve. Because we are taking our faith here and we're taking it out there to a world who desperately needs Jesus Christ. And that's why we serve. So we invite, we share, and we serve. Now, to remember those three so we'll never forget the mission, mission again, you could go an easy route and just make a mnemonic out of it. The problem is invite, share, and serve becomes ISS. And in the school world, that's in-school suspension. So I don't know that that's the, the best way to put it. But ISS. And maybe that's what we should have if we're not following that. Invite. Share and serve. Would you say those three words with me again? Because that's why we exist. Invite, share, serve. Will you join me in prayer? Father God, we are so thankful that we have the opportunity for eternal life because of what Jesus Christ and only Jesus did for us. He took our sins, he took them to the cross, he died for our sins, and then he conquered death by rising again. And, Father, when that earliest church began to form, it was formed out of the passion and conviction and the movement of the Holy Spirit in people who desperately wanted to carry that message to a lost world. Father, we're part of that legacy. Whether we're from Whiting or Ottawa or Sloane or Mapleton or Lawton or Sioux City or Missouri Valley or wherever we represent, we come together under one umbrella to proclaim our worship and faith in you, And seek the opportunity to share you, to serve for you, and then to invite others into this community, this spiritual community. Father, we thank you for the blessings that you provide us. We stay focused on the needs that surround us in our daily lives. And we thank you for all of the blessings that come simply by choosing to serve for you. Those promises you give us in Isaiah, the promises that Jesus give, gave us in Matthew, are promises we hold on to. Let us be courageous tomorrow with every interaction we have to invite, to share, and to serve. We thank you for your blessings, and it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.